All right, if you have your Bibles, if you could pull them out right now um, and turn to Philippians chapter 4, um, starting in verse 10. And if you don't have a Bible, luckily we have an insert, um, a blue insert in your bulletin. You could pull that out and read along. And my prayer for you guys is that this scripture reading prepares our hearts um, and helps us be content. And you might notice that you'll recognize a verse that's taken out of context a lot in this passage. So, let's read, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a pregnant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with your spirit. Greg? I had just finished an exercise class. I was hot. I was sweaty. I was stinky. I was hungry. I was tired. And somebody in the parking lot had parked their big truck it almost looked purposely had parked their truck right next to mine, so close. I mean, literally, I could not get in between the two. And he was sitting in his truck. He had his phone out. He was doing this. And I paused. Because I knew that I was not in the right frame of mind to go talk to him. I paused. I said, Father, what am I supposed to do? And of course, when you pray that prayer, you know what he does? He answers. He answers with Scripture. I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I have to be content? That's not the scripture I wanted. I wanted vengeance as mine. God said so. (laughs) 
Okay, Father, how am I to be content? Now, content, often people think content means passive. Content means I sit there and take it. And so, I just it's kind of a fatalistic thing. And friends, contentment is not fatalistic. Contentment isn't, isn't being all oh, so passive. Contentment is saying, God, what do you want me to do? How do I do it? And how do I respond with your attitude? So I said, okay, what do you want me to do, Father? So I kind of shrugged my shoulders, and I noticed that if I went around, I could open the door, because there's plenty of room on the other side, and I could just slide across the seat, get behind my truck, drive off. So that's what I did. Didn't think anything of it. The only thing I was thankful for is I had lost some weight so I could get behind the wheel. You know? Didn't think anything of it. till the following Monday when I went back to the exercise class and this gruff, hard-nosed guy walks up and he goes, Hey, preach! I said, Yeah, what? He goes, You're a patient guy. Not really. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. She goes, yeah, you are. Especially when some, and he used a very colorful word, park their truck on purpose next to yours so you can't get in just to see what you would do. Ho, ho. Wow. He goes, you're a patient guy. I watched. I was pretending to look at my phone. I wanted to see what you were going to do. (laughs) I was waiting for you to come to my door and give me an earful. Then I was going to yell, gotcha. Instead, you shrugged your shoulders, went around, got and slid across your, your seat and drove off. First of all, I go, praise God, I finally got it right. <laughs> and if there's any glory in it, it goes to him, not to me, because my uh, human side wasn't patient. I didn't realize I was being watched, I didn't realize I was being tested. And it's someone I'm wanting to someday share Jesus with. Could you imagine how tragic it would have been if I had failed? Contentment. Contentment. What is it? Those of you who are friends of mine on Facebook know that I posted it this week as a question. I was so thankful when I got a response from many of you. But I want to, to ask this question. What is it being content? Will I live a life of contentment or do I want to live a life of entitlement? 
If I have a choice, will I pursue a life that is an entitled life? And if I do, I do I realize I'm going to put myself on a treadmill of perpetual dissatisfaction because that which satisfies in the beginning will begin to bring less and less and less satisfaction as the days go on? Because that's what Paul teaches us in the last part of this chapter. What he teaches us about contentment is so revolutionary. He shows us the marks of someone who has true contentment. Now, this path is not easy. Because contentment is much more than being able to put up with something unpleasant. And as I shared with you, I I placed a question on Facebook. And one of my dear friends... Robert Cole wrote on the subject. You see, Robert and Don came to Christ as college kids. Donna and I were serving at a church in a college town. And they came to Christ, and oh my goodness, they had no idea what Jesus was all about. But they came to Christ and we got to pour into them and they got married and oh, they were trying to figure out what this marriage thing meant. And Robert goes, I want to be a a minister. And so he worked with us and he was so gifted. So incredibly gifted. And he was funny. And he went off to school. And we got to pour in him and Don, and Don and them, him poured into Donna and I. It was just so beautiful. He goes off to school, and God blesses him with three wonderful little children. He comes back to our area, takes a small church, starts a small church. He's a young husband, he's a young father, he's, he's a young pastor. And then he becomes diagnosed with grade two oligo astrocytoma brain tumor. Multiple surgeries. Chemotherapy. Radiation. Every time they take it out, it grows back. They tell this young dad that you might not see your kids graduate. His wife now has to say, am I going to grow old with my husband or not? So when Rob writes about contentment, I know that he has been in the forge. He has been in the fire. And that the words from his pen come from words that have been through it. And that the ink is ink that is mixed with tears and pain. So I like his definition. He writes this, Contentment is possible in any culture. However, it is possible for only those whose ultimate joy is in Christ Jesus. The culture Paul lived in was not any easier than ours now. He teaches us that contentment is not just being okay with being uncomfortable, but being fully satisfied in any and every circumstance. 
This is the full meaning of verse 13. It isn't about bending wrought iron or ripping phone books. Paul specifically says he can be content through Christ who strengthens him. The ability to be content in any culture is possessed only by those who enjoy the abundant riches of Jesus Christ as that has value infinitely beyond anything offered in this world, whether it be Atari, the latest model car, the nicest bell bottoms, the newest and best iPhone, Every century has within it ten decades filled with many seasons of new and exciting offerings and opportunities. It also has many disappointments, trials, and hurts. Paul says in Romans 8 that God is working all things together for good, and that can't mean our circumstances will always be better. Cars lose value, stock markets crash, houses burn, marriages end, jobs are lost, cancer kills etc. The good that God is working together is in the following verses that tell us that He is conforming us into the image of Jesus. And all of the bad and good as we look into our Heavenly Father for all joy, purpose, and life, we are being conformed into the image of Jesus who lived His life in perfect submission and obedience to His Heavenly Father. Why? For the joy set before Him. Nothing in this life, no comfort, no joy, no pain compares to the endless riches of Christ poured out lavishly on all those who have Christ as their Lord and Savior. How can we not Be content. I can be content in all circumstances in Him who gives me strength. This is the contentment I speak about this morning. The ability to trust in and submit to God's wise decision in every situation. This contentment flows from a God-centered view of life. It understands that my life flows from my Heavenly Father's hands. Now there's a key word in this passage. It's the word learned that we see in verse 11. Paul says, I have learned in every situation to be content. It speaks by learning by experience, learning by growing into, by developing. And the joy I have to tell you today is if you are sitting here and going, Pastor Greg, that joy, that that contentment that, that Rob talked about, I don't have. Guess what? All of us can grow into it. All of us can learn contentment in every situation. Paul talks about how. Let's plunge in. How do I grow into contentment? Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now take that verse and you're going, Greg, what what are you saying here? Now here's the picture. They had started out concerned for them, for him, they, the, the people of Philippi loved Paul, but something happened where they weren't able to help Paul, but now they could help him again. The first step in learning contentment is this. We learn contentment by being confident in God's providence. 
We learn contentment by being confident in God's providence. You see, if I were Paul, I would say, but I always want you to be able to give to me, give to me, give me to me. I, I needed your help. I needed your help all this time, but, but you had all that time, you couldn't help me. And, and, you know, Paul doesn't freak out like that. Paul says you couldn't help me, but now you can. Isn't that great? Praise God. That's called providence. We don't hear much of that word anymore. That's kind of an old-timey word, isn't it? Kind of one of those pulled out of the King James Bible. I almost should be saying these and thous and thuses when I use the word providence. But providence is great. It's the twin to miracle. Now, you all know what a miracle is, right? So when God suspends the rules and does something outside the rules and steps in and boom, it happens. You know, when He healed the blind, when He crossed the Red Sea, when He caused things to happen that we just can't explain because boom, God acts. And we love miracles. We put on our pom-poms and we go, miracles, miracles, yay! But you know what happens? God likes to work through providence. And sometimes we treat God's providence like the ugly stepsister. Now, problem is, he works through providence more than he works through miracles. Providence is sneaky. Providence works behind the scenes. Providence is how he brings this person right here for this time. And he brings this situation right here. And he brings this resource. And he starts bringing everything into place. And, it, and all of a sudden, boom, it's all right there. I was talking to a friend of mine, Chris Jones. And Chris is a missionary to Azerbaijan. And Chris was telling me, he was out, had a, had a group of guys in his car, and they were driving, you know, and all of a sudden they hit this pothole, and he said, and he was in Azerbaijan, he said, when I hit the pothole, the car just about disappeared. And he goes, and we got up, and there was a certain part on the car that busted. And we limped into town, and we went to the garage, now, a garage in that town was there was a guy with a little hut that had a hole in front of his house. And basically, you push the car over the hole, he jumps into the hole and fixes your car. That's the garage. And the guy said, oh, well, you have this kind of car and you need this part and it's busted. And he's going, oh my goodness, if I was in the States... It would take me three weeks to get this part. He goes, what am I going to do? And the guy goes, oh, no problem. No problem. See that lean-to over there? Go ask him. He's got the part. He says, excuse me, we're in the middle of Azerbaijan. That guy's got the part. He says, yeah, that guy's got the part. So he gets up. He walks over. Says, hey, I've got this kind of car. This broke. I need this part. He goes, one moment. Yeah, here it is. How much? 30 bucks. In the United States, 1200. 
He said, for 70 bucks, I'm on the road in an hour. That's providence. Was it a miracle? No laws of God were suspended. But did God bring everything together just at the right time? That's His providence. You see, you want to be content? Trust in the providence of God. That He's working behind the scenes. That He never stops working. He never takes a day off. And He's always working behind the scenes to bring things together. Just at the right time. At the right place. To do His will. Notice secondly, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Did you catch that? I am content in any situation. Let that sink in. His situation does not determine his level of contentment. This is the man who's been lost in an ocean. This is the man who has been in prison. This is the man who writes this in chains. This is the man who's now living at a level of poverty. He has been stoned. He's been attacked. He's been on the run. He has been mocked. He's been without sleep. He has been hungry. And the list goes on and on and on. But no matter the situation, I am content. Oh, believer, are you? Too often we're going, if I could just have this, I would be content. If I could just have this, I would be content. Wow. Really? Can I share something with you? The moment you get it, you won't be. Because then it'll be, now if I could just have that if I could just make this much I could be content no you won't used to do cars for the in LA guys who were making mega bucks it was fun I'd, I'd come just dressed as a total slob you know walk into these multi-mega businesses in my flip-flops and my shorts and my torn t-shirt and uh, walk past all these guys in their three-piece suits and, you know, and guards and polish them up real pretty. And these guys are really nice to me. I mean, we'd go on outings for our college and I remember one night the guy goes, so you're going to go Go take a girl out tonight, huh? I said, yeah. He goes, so you want the rolls or the clinet? I said, excuse me? He goes, when you take her out, do you want to drive the rolls or do you want to drive the clinet? Both of these were like $150,000 cars. We took the rolls. (laughs) Are you content with any situation? Or does circumstance determine yours? 
I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Notice the pairings. Low, abound, plenty, hunger, abundance and need. He says, I can face either extreme and it's okay. We often think about how hard it is to go from something to nothing, but it's also difficult to go from nothing to something. How many people have shipwrecked their lives on the rocks of abundance and wealth after beginning with nothing? How many people have allowed things to possess them? Paul says it doesn't matter the circumstances because I do not derive my contentment from the world around me. It flows not from things, not from my environment. It has an internal source. We learn how to be content when our contentment does not come from our circumstances, we learn how to be content when we know the One from whom our strength comes. Verse 13, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. It is possible for only those whose ultimate joy is in Christ Jesus. He teaches us that contentment is not just being okay with being uncomfortable, but being fully satisfied in any and every circumstance. That this is the full meaning of verse 13. It isn't about bending rod iron or ripping phone books. Be content through Christ who strengthens Him. The ability to be content in any culture is possessed only by those who in Christ. And as that has value infinitely above anything offered in this world. Wow. You know, too often we take that verse and we put it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt. In fact, I have a t-shirt at home that some kid gave me. It has a Superman emblem and the verse underneath it. I tried flying. It doesn't work. You know. I can have contentment no matter what, through Jesus Christ. I can do it all. Not rip phone books, not bend iron. I can abound. I can face hunger. I can face plenty. I can face abundance. I can face need. I can face the hard thing. Oliver Cromwell, the spiritual and military leader of England in the past, said he was just about to be destroyed. He was facing an anguish that some of you have faced. His young son had died, and he was absolutely inconsolable. In the midst of my darkness, in the midst of my despair, in the midst of my despondency and misery, there was one beam in a dark place. And it was, I can do all things through Christ. This was the promise that saw me through. That I could eventually find contentment again. The Christ who strengthens me. Notice, fifthly, we learn how to be content when our focus is on others. 
Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases. For I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Our hearts, when they're focused on others, it is so hard to be discontent. I've traveled a little, not a lot. But I can remember traveling. When I was in South Africa, we were working with AIDS patients. And what was happening was we'd go to these villages and um, townships, and like the oldest kid, the oldest person there was like 12. Because all their their relatives had died of AIDS. And so the 12 and 13-year-olds were raising their little brothers and sisters. And so we were working with these creches, and what the creches would do is they would babysit school. And there'd be a few elders still in the villages, and they kind of would... And I remember being invited into into one of the, the homes. They said, oh, pastor, you bless us with your presence. <laughs> Boy, that's not much of a blessing, but okay. You know, best coffee. Now, South Africa, they make some nice brewed coffee. And they make some really good tea, rooibos tea. And I said, oh, okay, I'll, you know, sure, I'd be grateful to receive your, your, your coffee. So they heated the water and they tore open the packet of Sanka and made me instant coffee. They drank the brewed stuff. And, and I go, well, you, you don't need to make me Sanka. I'll, I'll drink the brewed stuff. They go, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Here, the instant coffee, that's the good stuff. Well, I don't need to be honored. <laughs> you know. And they would pull out their chipped cup with the chipped saucer, and it was the best in the house. They'd honor me. And they gave me their best. And when I would travel to Nepal, they would give me their best. And sometimes the food they put in front of us, I'd look at our, our host, or our travel guide, and he'd say, yeah, this is probably you know, the food they were going to eat themselves this week. I'd have, I'd have guys come with me and they'd go, Pastor, are you going to eat your lunch? And I'd say, no, you can have it. Because they hadn't eaten in two days, you know? But they gave their best. It just blows me away how people who have nothing, people who have nothing, were so content. And they give their best. You see, when you're other focused, when you're other focused, then you become content. Fred showed me, showed me a wonderful little saying. 
The enemy of contentment is comparison. Why do we struggle with contentment? Let's be other focused. And my God, we learn how to be content when we trust. And my God will supply every every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice how this flows out of the previous verses. When we seek to give others, when we seek to become other focused, we can give knowing that God knows what our needs are after we give. Now the idea of this verse is we give to others who are building the kingdom of God. Braxton made a comment earlier, this is a verse that's been ripped out of context. In fact, if this verse, you know, they'll, they'll have a TV show or they'll send out a, a, a letter and say, you know, if you give to us, give to our ministry, God will bless you according to this and He'll supply every need. And some will even go so far and say, He will not only supply every need, He will make you rich if you give to us. Friends, that's not what He's saying here. And we're never going to say that as a church. He says, I'm going to supply your need. Now realize who's saying this. The guy who just a few verses before says, I've been hungry. I've been poor. I've struggled. So this verse isn't about getting stuff, is it? It's about God supplying our needs. And sometimes God knows in the midst of our need, we need something better than stuff. For example, Paul goes to God in 2 Corinthians 12 and says, God, I'm in pain. I'm hurting. Cause that thing to stop that's hurting me. And God says, I know what you need. Grace. Uh, That wasn't what I prayed for, God. No, but I gave. Sometimes in the midst of hunger, God's going to give you peace. Sometimes in the midst of trials, He's not going to make those trials Stop. He's going to give us the ability to handle the suffering that comes from those trials. Sometimes He's going to give us grace instead. Sometimes He's going to put someone in your life that is a problem. Remove them. And God says, no, I'm going to give you mercy. I don't want mercy, God. I want you to crush them. No, I'm going to give you mercy. Or I'm going to give you wisdom. Or I'm going to give you thanksgiving. Or when life strips everything away from you, I'm going to give you just myself. Because that's all you're going to need. It's just me. And maybe you just don't realize it yet. That all you need is me. Maybe he's saying your hands are too full of stuff. If your hands are not what you think you need. And it may not be stuff. Sometimes he gives us the physical. Sometimes he'll bring the money in to pay the bill or he'll cause something to happen. But sometimes he doesn't. And that doesn't mean he lets you down. 
means you need to have your eyes open to see what he is bringing you. It ends with a doxology. I grew up in a church when we sang the doxology, you know, it was, praise God from whom all blessings flow, you know. Well, here's their doxology. Doxology always exalts God. It always lifts Him up. To God our Father be glory forever and ever. In other words, praise Him above everything. Then he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's house. In other words, greet the people who have been changed by God and those changed by God greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What the Father wants to give you, the grace of His Son, what you need most, His grace with your spirit. There's an old story came out of World War II. There's a lady by the name of Corey Tin Boom. And those younger ones in our congregation, if you've never read about Corey, I'd encourage you to look her up and read her. Corey was in one of the Holocaust camps. Her sister had died in that camp. I know it's pop, very popular today in some of our high school and colleges to say that, that the Holocaust didn't happen. Friends, it did. It did. Corey met Jesus Christ, and at the end of the, the war, she was traveling around telling about the good news of Jesus Christ, and she saw a man at the end of her service come up. She realized who he was. He was her guard at the prison camp. He was the one who made her life a nightmare. He was the one who took her sister's life. And he knew exactly what she wa he wanted. He could see it, she could see it in his face. As he got closer, she started taking steps back. She didn't want to hear what he was going to ask. He had no right to ask it. He got closer, and in German, he said, Sister, do you know who I am? She nodded her head. Sister, I am now a Christian. Will you forgive me? How could he ask this? He tortured her. He killed her sister. How could he ask? Their mind went to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ. 
through Christ. And she said there was a power within her that was not her. It was Christ's power. And she looked at Him and she didn't see her torturer. She saw a man scarred with sin. A man who had been twisted by evil. And a man who needed to be set free. And she said, I forgive you, my brother. I forgive you. How? Through Christ. For you see, God will grant us contentment. And that contentment, when He supplies whatever we need, might even include forgiveness in that moment. For everything we have is through Christ. And Christ alone. Amen.